please rise for a scripture lesson. The lesson today comes, comes from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. minister with the PCA in uh, Sioux Runs Presbytery uh, over here to your west. Uh, the Minnesota and the Dakotas is our region. Um, planted a church called City Life Church in St. Paul starting in 08. Pastored there to 2019. Uh, since then I've done a research project. I think I talked a little bit about that when here I was here last summer. Uh, worked with the PCA on researching pastoral health and uh, commended you for giving Matt uh, some sabbatical time uh, last summer, because uh, that's very important. Um, and then I started working almost a year ago for Langham Partnership, which I would easily take my whole sermon time to talk about if, if uh, I had the opportunity. So I will just tell you that I work for Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, um, serving the global church. If you want to talk to me about it afterwards, uh, I'd love to share more of what we're doing and what I'm doing there. Uh, but it's, it's a joy to be with you. Um, this morning and to be able to bring the word to you um, and uh, I guess the only other thing that I want you to know about me is I'm married to Carrie and I'm a proud father of four children one of whom is here with us today um, and you can figure out who and where that one is <coughs> so <coughs> anyway let me pray for our time in the word together gracious heavenly father we thank you that you have not left us alone uh, in the world to to wonder what it's about, who you are, who we are, where things are going, and how we should live in that. You've given us a witness. You've inspired your word and preserved it over the years uh, for your church. And not only that, we praise you, Holy Spirit, that um, you are alive and active and at work when your word is read and preached. And that's our hope this morning, not that I would be good, but that you would be gracious and that you would work among us uh, to take your word and to apply it where it's needed, uh, to grow us and shape us. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to believe and wills that are willing to be conformed to your will, uh, that we may live in the world that you made for our good and for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I understand you guys are going to spend some time in the Psalms this summer. Um, and I get to do the inaugural psalm, so I thought, why not do Psalm 1 to start? It makes sense. Um, and whoever is at the end should do 150, but I don't know who that's going to be. So um, let me give you just, I don't know if others will say this, let me give you a little bit of my understanding of the psalms before we dive into Psalm 1. It may help you as you think through them this summer together. Um, we used to do it every summer at City Life. We would spend the summer in the psalms and uh, just go through the next however many we got through that summer. Um, so I've spent a good bit of time in them, and, and uh, more and more I find myself uh, 
going to them in whatever circumstances that I find myself. Because here's what we, what we understand about the Psalms. They are, they are the official uh, psalm book, uh, song book given to God's people, right? They are, they are inspired worship songs given to God's people for us to use uh, in public worship. And so what the Psalms do is they put on our lips the kinds of things that God wants to hear from his people as they gather to worship him in all and every real life circumstance that we find ourselves in, in a broken and fallen world. So what that means is as you use the Psalms, it, sometimes you read a Psalm and it's like, oh, I know exactly what that's like. Sometimes you read a Psalm and you're like, I don't know, I don't know at all what that's like. But those are the times when you start to, you start to ask yourself, what, what would have to be true of my beliefs and my loves and my heart for me to be able to put that on my lips in that kind of a circumstance or that kind of a situation? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is one, uh, one of those psalms putting on our lips. And I encourage you just to think about every psalm you encounter. God wants this on my lips as part of his people, as I come into his presence. Some of them, that makes total sense. You know, praise be to God. You know, that's, of course, he wants that. Some of them, like, really? God wants to hear this from me. Um, look at Psalm 88 later today and think about the fact that God wants to hear that from his people in worship. But let's look at, look, let's look at Psalm 1, uh, the intro, the gateway to the whole book. It's a wisdom psalm, which means that it intends to tell us how the world works and how one might live well in it. It's, it's applied knowledge in song. So I don't know how many of you know this song. Uh, never, never play with matches. If you do, you guys know this? If you do, you might burn your house down. See, it gets a little dark there. Uh, it's nice for kids, but you might burn your house down. That won't do. That won't do. This is what wisdom psalms are. They're memorable ditties to help us live well in the world. So Psalm 1 is supposed to do that. It's supposed to be something that we can, it's put in a form that we can remember and that we can reuse to help us navigate life. So what is the wisdom that Psalm 1 wants to impart to us? Well, I'd submit to you that it wants to tell us how to be happy. Psalm 1 wants to tell us how to be happy. Really? That's what, that's in the Bible? That's what Psalm 1 is about? Yeah, it's the first line of Psalm 1. The first line of the whole Psalter is, blessed is the man, blessed is the person. But we tend to hear blessed, and we tend to hear you know, like sort of an exchange, like you do this and you get, you get blessed, you get stuff, right? That's not, what, that's not what it means. In the Hebrew, blessed means, the best translation is, oh, the happiness of the one. And it's not happy clappy, it's not a, a, a superficial kind of thing, it's a deep contentedness. Oh, the happiness of the one who. And just stop there, isn't that what we want? <laughs> isn't that what we, we hope for? Um, and I want you to hear this morning, before we go further, God cares about your happiness. God wants you to experience contented, peaceful, full happiness in his world. And he, lots of places, tries to help us know how we can find that. I, I put in the bulletin for, uh, for reflection the Beatitudes from Matthew 5, another place where it's blessed, blessed, blessed. And it's not do this and you'll get rewarded. It's here's the way to happiness in the world that God made. So that's what this psalm is about. Oh, the happiness of the person. And that's good that it's about it because we're pretty, pretty bad at knowing how to find happiness. I don't know if you're familiar with, I think it's Sheryl Crow. Some of you will correct me if I say the name, but Sheryl Crow's song, uh, If It Makes You Happy, It Can't Be That Bad. If it makes you happy, why the heck are you so sad? <laughs> like, this is what the thing that we struggle with is uh, finding happiness in the right places. You might even define 
sin as the pursuit of happiness in the wrong places and to the wrong means. So we struggle to know how to be happy. Think of Adam and Eve being told, you can eat fruit from any tree in the garden, but not this one. And they saw that it was pleasing to the eyes and good for food, and so they chose to pursue happiness there, and that didn't work out very well for them. So we need help with happiness. And Psalm 1 is a song about how to be happy. There are three things that I want us to think about that the psalmist would have us understand and believe and sing (laughs) about happiness. The first one is the centrality of delights, all right? The centrality of delights. So the first, the the opening verses start with this contrast, and this psalm is beautifully, uh, this Hebrew poetry is great with uh, this, not this, the contrast. So pay attention to those as you read. The first contrast is uh, between what, what's not going to make you happy. What's not going to make you happy is giving yourselves to the thinking of the wicked, the behaving of sinners, and the identity or the, the settled disposition of the scoffers. That's not what's going to make you happy. This sort of thinking, this sort of doing, this sort of identifying self. But the contrast to those things for the happy person doesn't start with thinking or behaving or identifying. It starts with delight. What does the psalmist mean by delight? He's talking about what do you love? Where do your passions go? What is it that you long for? Just think about this. How would the psalm feel different to read or to sing if the psalmist had said, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, sits in the seat of scorners, or scoffers, but he obeys the law of God. How would that feel different? Or, but he, but he knows the law of God. It's important, too, but it's, it's a different feel. He doesn't say that. He says his delight is in the law of the Lord. Delight is in the law of the Lord. Delight, delight's a different thing. It gets to the heart level. And what we need to understand is that what the psalmist is doing is employing a biblical anthropology, a biblical, a biblical understanding of what it means to be human. Because what the Bible tells us is that we as humans are, by design, driven by desires. We're driven and motivated primarily not by what we think or know, but by what we love and by what we long for. And that is how we're made. God made us that way. And you know this. You know this experientially. You and I regularly do things we know we we shouldn't do. We eat too much or we eat unhealthily. We abuse our bodies in all sorts of ways that we know better than. Or we do something we know is wrong. You might call it sin. And then we say to ourselves, what do we say? What was I thinking, right? I know better than that. Yes, you do. The problem is you don't love better than that. That's, that's the reality of who we are as people. The right question is not what was I thinking, but what was I wanting? What was I loving and desiring that overruled clear thinking? Because we do that all the time. We do that all the time. But the, the proof is in the Bible as well. It's not just our experience that tells us that we're driven by desires. The Bible talks about it in many ways. One that I think is very clear is what are the two great commandments, the two basic instructions from God to teach us how to be human according to his design. It's not know this. It's not believe this. It's not do this. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself. And we know that love is more than a feeling. There's songs about that. We talk about it. Love is actions. There's books called Love is a Verb. But it's not, it's not not a feeling. 
It's not devoid of emotion and passion and connection. It includes those things, right? That, and that is how we are made to be driven by what we love. This is who we are. The problem is that our desires are out of whack, and we need to get our desires back in whack, if I can put it that way, by delighting in the right things. So that's the first point the psalmist points us to is the centrality of delight. If we're going to talk about happiness, we got to talk about what do we delight in? What are, we, what are, what are our passions with? What do we love and long for? So then he wants us to focus on the object of delight, what our delight should be, and it should be the law of the Lord is what he says there in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And the psalm helps us to understand why we would delight in this by telling us four things I want us to think about. We'll go through these relatively quickly. First of all, because of what it is, the law of the Lord, he helps us understand why it's delightful. And then there are two ways he talks about what it does that help us understand how it's delightful. Okay, So we're in point two, and there are four points in point two, and they're divided into two parts. All right, everybody got that? Somebody's saying, I was told there'd be no math in this sermon, but just a little bit of numbers for you to keep track of. All right, so the object of delight, the law of the Lord, why would we delight in this? Because of what it is. First of all, it's law. We don't like that, right? (laughs) We don't like law. That sounds uh, restrictive and confining and all that. A better way to understand Torah, which is the word here in the Hebrew, it's not law but instruction. We don't like law. We do like instruction. Think about that. You want to know how things go. You want to know how to do things well, how to, how to play a game. You ever sat down to a new game, put all the pieces, and just said, let's see what happens? <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that. You, you want to experience this game, and so you read the instructions. We want to know how to play this, so we read the instructions. How to change a tire. You know, YouTube makes a living on the fact that we want instruction, right? Go look it up, Google it, YouTube it, figure out how to do it. I mean, we, we love that. We need that. How to change a tire. How to be a better fill-in-the-blank, guitarist, golfer, gamer, painter, bread maker. I ran out of G words there. Um, Most importantly, we want instruction how to live well, how to know what to do with our life. And that's what Yahweh has given us. This is instruction is what Torah is. So we want that. We need that. So that's why we should delight in the fact that we have it. But it's not any old instruction. It's not some random generic instruction. It's not from some unknown source. You know, that whole YouTube thing of like, well, can I trust this person who put this video out there? You can, because this is the instruction of the Lord, which is, you know, when you see that Lord with the small caps, you know that it's the it's Yahweh, right? That's how we render that into the English with those small caps. It's the personal name of God. It's uh, this is the instruction of Yahweh. Notice the contrast with verses one and two. It's not the counsel of the wicked. It's not the way of sinners, it's not the seat of scoffers. It's delighting in the instruction of Yahweh. This is God's personal name as he's been made known to Israel. So Abigail, Amelia, Drew, Eli, Carrie, these are names of people that are very important to me in my life, my children and my wife. Neil Nethery, the father of Parker Nethery, is a name with history and significance in my life because we played football in college together. We coached football at Sterling College, and he's part of the writers there. See, I told you I was going to shout you out. So, but but if you said lots of if you said most of you said your your father's name, I'd be like, okay, great. 
somebody says Parker's father's name, I'm like, wait, I know that guy. I've got history. I've got experience with him. Uh, if, if I hear something from his dad, I'm going to pay attention because I know him. Like I have a shared history with him. And I care about him, and I know he cares about me. Israel, who received this, um, knows this Yahweh. They know he is the one who created all things. He's the one who has acted in history to make himself known. He's the one who has built Israel from nothing to a great nation. And, and he's redeemed Israel out of slavery in Egypt uh, to be a, a nation with their own land and their own king. And he's made a way for them to dwell with him uh, in his presence by providing for sin and uncleanness to be dealt with. And he's promised to be faithful to them. And he's promised to bless the whole world through them. He has done all these acts of grace for them. And they know this person. And so it's not just instruction. It's instruction that comes from Yahweh, the one whom they know and love. All this relational reality is loaded into that meaning. And that's where the delight can come from. Think of, just for a second, think of your favorite teacher ever. Okay? Think of your favorite teacher ever. Mine was Mrs. Flom from sixth grade at Bel Air Elementary School in New Bedford. So you've got your favorite teacher in mind. Think about this. Did you... Was that, was that your favorite teacher because you learned a lot from that person? Or did you learn a lot from that person because that person was your favorite teacher? Now, I'm sure that there's, you can learn a lot from someone who's not your favorite teacher. But the principle, I think, if you just think about that relational connection, when you had a teacher, whether it's in college or in high school or whatever, that you liked and that you knew liked you and cared about you, you paid more attention. You valued more what they said. And that's what the psalmist is emphasizing here Delight in this instruction from Yahweh, who knows and loves you, and you know and love him. Now, of course, we have the advantage of more history, Yahweh making himself more known in the world by action and record of that action. We know the fullness of his work to bring salvation to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how much more can we delight in this instruction of this Yahweh? And so even when we don't understand or even when we don't like it, we can still take it to heart and trust and follow because we know the heart and character of the one who's given it to us. So that's what the psalmist tells us about what this, uh, this Torah is, right? That it's the, the instruction that comes from Yahweh. But he also tells us two things about what this, this uh, instruction does. And that's really the bulk of the psalm as he has these great contrasts between what, the, what Yahweh's way does Versus what other ways do. So that's the third thing about why, uh, why this is the object of our delight. Is that Yahweh's law produces flourishing. And this is in verses 3 and 4. There's a great contrast of fruitfulness here in these verses. Let me read them again. He, this one who delights in Yahweh's law, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The similes themselves, a flourishing tree versus just husks of seeds, provide a vivid image of contrast. But how much more the, the manner of the description, the happy man is this relatively long description with detail. He's a tree, he's planted, he's springs of water, fruit, leaf, complete prosperity. It goes on, but the wicked get bare bones, chaff driven away. Vanity, gone, nothing. This is really great writing. I love the poetry of this psalm. But notice that it's not the happy person that is the difference. He's passive. He's planted. It's, it's the water that makes the tree flourish. And so it's the law of Yahweh 
that makes the happy person good. And by contrast, the wicked basically ignore God or function up as if he doesn't exist, have lives that are like chaff that have no lasting benefit. This is Yahweh's intention in revealing his law, human flourishing, that we can take that instruction and learn well how to play the game, how to do the the things that will make us do well in the world. Remember, he told Adam and Eve, don't eat from this tree because if you do it, you will die. Why did he tell them that? Because he didn't want them to die. (laughs) Like sometimes we make it more complicated than it is. He wanted them to flourish in the garden, so he told them the truth. Don't eat that, you'll die. Why does this Torah tell us that to love money is the root, is a root of all kinds of evil? Because to love money is a root of all kinds of evil. And if you love money, if your desires, your delight is after money, it can lead you into all sorts of messes. So this Torah tells us, it warns us about that. Why does this Torah, why does this instruction give us rules about how to use our sexuality? Because Yahweh created it. He invented it. He knows the power, either for good or for evil, of that physical intimacy. And he wants us to enjoy his gifts to the fullness and to enjoy the sexuality as he intended it. So he gives us instruction about it. Why does this instruction tell us to love our neighbor as ourselves? Because neighborhoods would be places of great beauty and social flourishing if we all did so. That's what this instruction is after, flourishing. And this law produces flourishing because it comes from the creator of all things. It is the way his world works under his rule. Now there's a question here, what about suffering? What about hardship? It makes it sound like just do this and this, this happens. Well, it's not, a, it's not a promise. It's not a guarantee for business or economic or athletic or whatever worldly success. That's not what this is talking about. But rather, it refers to human flourishing according to God's purposes for us and for the world. It defines and instructs us to live in ways that will bring about God's good purposes and our enjoyment of them. So you have to read this psalm in the history of the scriptures. And you have to remember that Joseph for example, was one who delighted in the law of the Lord. And he was faithful to Yahweh, not perfectly, of course, but his faithfulness got him in more trouble, right? When he was seduced by Potiphar's wife, he said no, that got him accused falsely and thrown in jail. But through his faithfulness, God's redemption of Israel came about, right? So what this doesn't promise easy, doesn't promise success in any worldly endeavor. What it promises is this is the way to bring about and to benefit from God's purposes. And we don't just look to Joseph for that reality. We look to Jesus, obviously, for that reality. The one who perfectly delighted in Yahweh's Torah. The one who obeyed perfectly when it got him killed so that God's purposes would come about, so that our salvation would come about. So this law of Yahweh is delightful because when known and meditated on and lived out in the world, it brings about God's purposes and our being uh, privileged to be a blessing or be blessed by those purposes. Last thing about why we delight in this is that Yahweh's law promises justice. It doesn't just produce flourishing, it also promises justice. Listen to these last two verses, but try to... Try to put away your bias. Try to, try to not react to churchy words or scary words that are in here. Okay, I think you know what I mean when I read this. Just listen to what is being said in verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked 
will perish. Now, isn't that really good news? I mean, if you think about the world that we live in and where we find ourselves today, don't we want to know that wickedness doesn't prevail, that it doesn't last, that it doesn't get to be in the new heavens and the new earth? Now, yes, there is the reality, well, I'm wicked, and we have to admit that, and that's the beauty of this redemption that has been brought about, right, that Jesus took my wickedness on himself so that I can be forgiven and I can be brought in. And it's important to know that there will be a putting out of all that wickedness. And it is according to the spoil of Yahweh. Right? Wickedness doesn't win. Injustice doesn't win. Justice will prevail even in the end, even though it looks otherwise oftentimes. And this is part of our struggle to be happy. We chafe against injustice in the world. We grieve to see wickedness seem to have the upper hand. And the psalm reminds us it will not be that way forever. God's will, his Torah, will prevail. And that is another reason for us to delight in it. And not only to delight in it, but to be agents of pursuing that justice even now. To delight in this law, to take it into ourselves, and anywhere and everywhere that we see injustice, if we have the, 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 the ability to push against those effects of the fall, we do that now because that's who our Savior is and our king is. So you get to see in this psalm how the psalmist gets to the heart of the matter by taking us to the level of delight, but you also get to see how he answers our obvious question, how can I foster this delight? His song, his poem, masterfully confronts us with the beauty of the law of Yahweh because it is instruction from Yahweh who loves us and we love him, and it produces flourishing and it will bring about justice in the end. So what, with that, with that understanding of why this would be our delight, the psalmist also tells us the third big thing here, the activity of our delight that leads to happiness is right there in the end of verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is the activity of our delight, to meditate day and night. Now, Hebrew for day and night means all the time, 24-7. It doesn't mean that you can never sleep. It's an idiom that just means this is the way of life that we engage in, okay? But this word meditates is really important. We, we hear that and we think to remove ourselves from life, you know, maybe fold our legs and close our eyes and, um, you know, hum or something and sort of withdraw into our mind. It's the opposite of what it means, biblically speaking. You could translate it to muse on. You could also translate it to murmur or mumble. And I love this, this idea of meditating, that this, you're so delighted in this law of Yahweh that it's constantly on your lips. You're constantly talking it. You're constantly saying it to yourself so that you can apply it to the circumstances that you're in. Wherever this happy person goes, they are, they are murmuring, they are, they are speaking the law of Yahweh into their circumstances. Um, let me say it this way. The law of Yahweh is always with this person. This person's always thinking about what it means, how it applies to every situation, every moment of every day constant dialogue between the law of Yahweh and my present circumstances, my present reality. So remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do? I, maybe, I don't know how many people are old enough. How many people are old enough to remember the, what, oh, okay, good, good, good. That's good, because I'm up here struggling with the fact that I don't have bifocals yet, so that tells you how old I am. It's like you got to get the stand of the, the right distance. But the what would Jesus do bracelets, like to, to kind of help us go navigate the world by thinking about the example of Jesus. 
Well, you know, there are some ways that that breaks down because I'm not able to die for sins on the cross, so I can't follow Jesus' other example. But I would give you, I don't know which would be on the bracelet, but uh, HDYIA is what I want you to have. How does the Yahweh's instruction apply? That's the bracelet. HDYIA, I don't think it's going to catch on. I don't think so. I can see from your reactions you're not thrilled with this. But the point is that's, that's the approach. How does Yahweh's instruction apply? It's, I delight in it. It's in my mind. It's on my lips. And I'm constantly looking forward to how I can live it out towards flourishing for me and those around me. Here's a picture of Psalm 1. Happiness begins with a right delight, a right heart's desire that results then in right thinking and right living as I meditate on and apply that law to everybody. So one of the, one of the applications of study of the Psalms every week is sing the psalm. So in order for Psalm 1 to have its effect on you, you need to sing Psalm 1. You need to go over it. You need to, you need to learn it. You need to have it uh, available for your, you to call upon. Uh, let me put it this way. You put it on your lips when you don't need it so that it will come to your lips when you do need it. When you find yourself sad, Psalm 1, happy, oh, the happiness of the one walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners. What am I, where, where am I standing? Where am I sitting? Where's my God? Ah, delighted in the law of Yahweh, right? You put it on your lips when you don't need it so that when you do need it, it will come to your lips. I remember when I was a kid, I was in the back of the, our van, our family van, on the way home from a basketball game, and I was crying. And my dad from the driver's seat said, Bart, why are you crying? And I said, played terrible I missed all my shots I didn't score very many points it's like really you're you're crying yeah I just I feel I was I was bad and my dad said to me stop crying you won the game now you may say that was not very gentle of of my father Um, but what my dad was saying is your delight is in the wrong place why are you sad you're sad because your delight is in the wrong place was self-centered. I wanted to. Sc- I didn't care if we won. If I scored a lot, no, that's that's a delight in the wrong place. It's missing the point, right? Why you're sad? Your delight is in the wrong place. That's the problem. We get our delight in the wrong place. So here's the help. Psalm one. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of mockers or scoffers, but his delight is in the instruction of Yahweh, the one who loves him, the one who saved him. And on that law, that law that brings flourishing, that law that produces justice, on that law, he mumbles, he speaks, he, he meditates day and night. May the Lord make us happy as he desires. Let me pray for us to that end. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us in this world that has so many good things that you've made. It's so easy for us to uh, skew on those things the wrong direction to to see the fruit or the gift as the source of our happiness rather than you the giver or or to think that a gift can be used in a different way a way it's not intended and still provide happiness and that that doesn't work Um, our our delights and our desires can easily run crooked and so thank you that you care about our happiness and that you uh, are committed to helping us understand how it is that we're made to be happy in the world that you made and in relationship with you so use Psalm 1 in our lives to bring about that happiness and that faithfulness that goes with happiness and delight in your law. 
Um, I pray that you would help my friends here at Resurrection Madison to grow in their happiness as they grow in their delight in your, your word and its application to their lives. And we pray all this for uh, our good, for the good of our neighbors, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand um, to confess our faith together. So I like to think about this as um, when we hear God's word preached,